Lord, thank you for just this time of incredible worship, Lord, being able to stand before you, to come before you, to, to be, Lord, before you in your presence. And Lord, thank you for gracing us with your presence. We need you today, Lord. And we ask through your word that you would speak to us, God, that your Holy Spirit would anoint. But God, have a word for each one of us today. God, that we may not only be transformed, continuing to become the people of God, who you want us to be, but to continue to help us to keep eternity in our eyes. Lord, there's not a lot of time left. I see it already, God. We see the events even just this weekend unfolding, Lord. We see things happening, God, that, that tell us your coming is soon. And so, Lord, let us stop being distracted in this world and in our things, God. Stop being set in our pride and ourselves so much. But let us be reminded and our eyes be brought to you today. So bless your word this morning. We ask for your anointing and your spirit to fill us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In this uh, 21st century that we live in, the 2000s, right, there's been some major events that have affected the whole world, haven't they? I mean, these things come to my mind, like 9-11, right, when the terrorists attacked the Twin Towers in New York, which put the U.S. together with other countries, kind of world, coming into that Iraqi war. Or how about in 2008? the financial crisis, the stock market crash. And they say it was the worst crisis since the Great Depression of the 1930s, and it affected not just our economy, but the world's. Uh, How about 2020? We've lived through this, haven't we? The COVID pandemic. I mean, we'll never forget that. The lockdowns, the travel restrictions, and it was across all, all borders and affected the whole world, didn't it? There's been these major events that affected the whole world, not just us, but the whole world. And there's other standouts, yes, but these three kind of pop into my mind for for me. Well, I wonder what's going to happen next. We kind of wonder about that, right? I mean, yesterday morning, right, waking up to Hamas attacking Israel. I mean, I was like, whoa, what's going on? Unprecedented, the article said. The article said, you know, they they were attacking not just the thousands of rockets uh, from air, but they came by land, they came by sea. And we continue to read all these things going on. I think this morning I read 600 have died and 2,000 plus, you know, been hospitalized. So it, it, it's, we're like, whoa, what's going on? What's next? What's the next standout event? Well, you know what I think. I believe the, it will be this exciting sound of a trumpet. The voice of God calling out for the church to come home in the rapture of the church. I mean, everything's set up. Right now, all prophecy has been fulfilled to set up for the coming days, for the end days. And as many pastors say and many speakers say, you know, the next major event on God's calendar is what? The rapture. Jesus coming to take believers home to heaven. And that, 
I believe will really affect the world, right? For sure, will affect the whole world. It'll be a major event that affects the whole world. What exciting sound that will be, the trumpet of God, the voice of God calling us home. You know, it made me think about, you know, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I know it's a Christmas movie, but it's, it's my most favorite movie. But do you remember uh, George Bailey was telling Uncle Billy how the most exciting sounds for him are anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles? But then Uncle Billy gave his, right? Most exciting sounds are breakfast is served, lunch is served, and dinner is served. <laughs> I love that. I mean, those are standouts for him. Well, as we return to Second Peter, Peter gives his standout, his standouts, the major events in world history that clearly now refute the scoffers who've been saying, "Hey, God's not involved in this world. God doesn't intervene at all in history. Things just go on as the way it is." So this morning, as I've given you the title. We're going to look at three standout events in history that Peter brings up. Again, Second Peter chapter three, five through seven. Now uh, we're going to see three of each of these events, and they each cover each of the verses. So in verse five, we're going to see number one, the formation of creation. In verse six, we're going to see number two, the flood in Noah's time. And in verse 7, we're going to see number 3, the fire at the end of the world. So that's our outline. Those are uh, what we're going to be seeing in this passage we're studying this morning. So let's begin with number 1, the formation of creation. The formation of creation. And here we're going to be covering verse 5. Verse 5. So take a look with me here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. It reads here, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Now, if you were with us here last week, remember we took the passage above this. And as we're studying this uh, book, as we do here in Calvary Chapel, you know, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Last time, remember, Peter was reminding the believers to hold on to the Word of God, to be reminded of what has been prophesied in the Old Testament, what had been given by the apostles about Christ's second coming, about what's going to happen at the end of this world as we know it. Uh, Peter's like, just remember that. Hold on to those things. Well, why is that? Because he says scoffers are going to come scoffing, right? In verse 3. That in the last days, people are going to come scoffing, reviling, mocking this truth that Jesus is going to return. That God is going to come and the world and make this whole new world, the millennium and everything. We're going to be talking about more of that next week. But, but, un, but scoffers are coming. So Peter is saying, hey, be reminded. Watch out. These scoffers are coming. And what are they going to be saying? Well, in verse 4, right? They, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? They're going to say, where's Jesus? Where is he now? Uh, he's, uh, he's delayed. Yeah, he's not coming. Well, where is he? And they're just mocking Christians about that. And then they say, remember in verse 4, they were saying, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Remember we learned last week, that is what is called uh, uniformitarianism. I don't know why I can't pronounce these words. 
uh, uniformitarianism. Well, I, I said it all elongated so you can write it down. So anyway, <laughs> so remember what that meant. It meant that what's been going on in the present is what was going on in the past, and it's what is going to keep going on in the future. Things are just going to remain the same. And if you bring God into the picture, they're just basically saying, look, you know, God, um, he's inactive. He doesn't intervene. He's not involved at all. Everything is just going to keep going the way it is. And as I brought up last week, too, that, that it was the influence of Charles Darwin with evolution. That things just keep evolving, keep going in the way things has always been. And so here... Christians, here the prophets and the apostles, we believe, no, there's going to be a major world event coming. God is going to come in. God with a divine act of judgment in the future, and we're waiting for that when Christ returns. Well, these guys are like, nah, where is he? See, it's been just going on. Nothing like that has happened. No, it, it, it's not going to happen at all. You know, it makes me think of some, a group of people called deists. Have you heard that before? Deists. They believe, yeah, God exists, but they look at him as a God that's not directly involved. They look at him, well, God, yeah, he, he's, he, he did create, but, you know, he, he just kind of let things go. They look at, the deists look at God as some great clockmaker, made the clock, wound it up, and just let everything go, and the world just keeps going on in its laws and in everything, and just goes on. God doesn't interfere. Inter- God doesn't intervene at all. But with that thought comes this, this thinking that, well, God is uncaring. God is, 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 is distant. Uh, uh, deists don't believe in the deity of Jesus, the Trinity, or the inspiration of the Bible. And I know this might be shocking to you, but some of our founding fathers were deists too in that way. But this is like these scoffers now. Like, ah, oh, no, things are just going to keep going. Yeah, God did the Big Bang and everything, but now the, the universe is just rolling on, rolling on. It just happened in that way. So as we come into verse 5, Peter refutes these scoffers, what, how they're mocking Christians. And here in verse 5, he says, they deliberately overlook. What do they overlook? They overlook the Old Testament prophets of how they prophesied and what he mentioned earlier in this chapter in verse 2. They overlooked the apostles and what they were saying, what God had given in their message and prophecy. They overlooked the scriptures. Uh, they overlooked deliberately. They willfully ignore the historical and scriptural evidence. That's what Peter's putting out here. They Really, when you read here, they deliberately overlook. They shut their eyes to the fact of the truths that we find in the Bible and what God said. So this is Peter now coming into these three proofs, uh, refuting these guys, countering these guys. And so the first thing he talks about in verse 5 is he's talking about when God created the heavens and the earth. He created, this was a major event. This was a huge thing, right? Because there's nothing there. And God, we could say, Calam, calamitically, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, no, wait, I'm not saying that right either. Like, instantaneously, explosively, in this incredible way, came in 
and created everything. And so this is what Peter is moving into. And notice one thing as we get into this verse is at the end of verse 5, it was what? By the word of God. All creation was formed when God spoke it into existence. We know Genesis, right? Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? God said, let there be dry land, and it was so. And down and down in Genesis chapter 1, it says, God said, it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God powerfully spoke creation into existence, in Hebrews 11.3, this is the NLT, it says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. So we understand how powerful God is and how he just spoke these things into our creation we live in, into existence. So here, with that in mind, Peter writes, For they deliberately overlooked. These guys shut their eyes to this fact. Well, what's the fact? Well, the heavens existed long ago. That there was this, really heavens in the Bible could either mean like heaven, heaven, or sky, or even a space. Uh, so long ago, just put this in your mind, there was this, this space. There's this kind of void. There's this out there. Long ago, that's what Peter's referring to. And then he says this interesting thing, and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. So what is that? Well, the earth was formed out of the water. It came up out of the water. And then it was through the water. It was, in other words, in the water. It was, the NLT puts it, surrounded with water. So Here's the idea. The, or originally, the earth, before it had any landmass, was this watery mass. And in that watery mass, the dry land appeared. And this is what Peter is referring to. And I want you to look at this. Turn over to Genesis now. Genesis chapter 1 to the beginning of your Bible. And we're going to spend a few moments here talking about creation here. So Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few verses, uh, verse 1 and 2, and then 6 through uh, like 10 or 9 here. And so this is what Peter's referring to, and this will kind of help you understand what's going on. And I like to back up to verse 1. Genesis 1.1. Here it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. So right away, in the beginning, right, we, we understand that before creation, before anything, in the beginning, you know what, God was there. Yeah? This just speaks of our, our self-existent God, our self-sufficient God, our eternal God. He wasn't created. It wasn't after creation. God was there before there was anything. Matter of fact, the word created here is the word bara in the Hebrew. It means to make something out of nothing, basically. I mean, I'll go Home Depot, I'll get some lumber, and I'll make something. I can make a box. But I make it out of the lumber. Well, God is the one who made the lumber, the tree, to begin with. He made something out of nothing. That's the idea. So in the beginning, there's God, our eternal God. He created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. So overall, this is God who created it all. Now look at verse 2. This is interesting. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of what? The waters. So there's this deep waters. There's this watery, matrixy mass in this uh, darkness, in this space in the heavens that were created long ago. There was this watery mass kind of over there. The Spirit of God, God was hovering, God was over it all. Interesting that in Proverbs 8.27, it says, oh, let, let me read that to you. I, I think this is super interesting. In Proverbs 8.27, um, Seven, it says, when he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. So there's this watery mass and he created this sphere. And there's this circle, this sphere of this watery matrix mass. And that was the earth. That was like the beginning of our earth. So then he says, let there be light. And we'll skip down to verse six now. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. In verse 8, God called the expanse heaven or, or sky. And there was evening and there was morning. And that was the second day. So on the second day, this, this watery mass, God came and separated in between. Yeah, there was a water above, watery stuff on the bottom, and he made this space in between. He, spaced, he made this expanse, which I believe is the atmosphere, which is the sky. So you understand there's this watery mass, and then he separated that, and he made the atmosphere, the sky, the, the, the air part in there. And so there's water above, water below, he called the expanse heaven, or we can translate that as sky. And that was the second day. So here's the very beginning on the second day. That God made light the first day, but the second day, here he separated the waters. And then look at verse 10 now. God, or, or verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And then what? Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And then verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So out of the water on the bottom, God up, uh, brought up the dry land. And I, I don't know, I, I kind of imagine these forces of, you know, how land is appearing and pushing up out. Perhaps maybe he created something in the core and then uh, it pushed up and pushed the water aside. And now we have the seas. And so this is how dry land appeared. I believe in, in what, thinking about what Peter is saying, that the dry land rose up in this cataclysmic kind of way. And so this was huge. It was a huge event. When God created everything, the world, the solar system, the universe, when it all came into existence, he didn't do it by any uniformitarianism, but by this instantaneous, explosive uh, uh, time of the six-day creation. This is what Peter is referring to. So the first counter to the scoffers here is things have not always been like it always is. No, God created it. God put it together in a cataclysmic way. 
the formation of creation was powerfully spoken into existence by God himself. So there's a few things going on here which, which makes me think about how, how Peter's saying, look, things just don't keep rolling and keep, things just don't keep happening. Like you could go back to Second Peter. You know, oh, ever since the fathers fell asleep, they're just all, all things are just continuing. No, you know what? There was a huge thing that happened. That was happened at creation when God powerfully came in. He's the one who did. I mean, if you think about it, there would have been just a darkness, a, a, a no form and void. The tohum bohu is the Hebrew, Hebrew name. Shapeless. Uh, empty is the meaning of the second word. He could have just let it go on. And it just go on, right? But no, God intervened in this sense. God got involved in this sense and powerfully spoke into existence all of creation. So here Peter's saying, no, things weren't just rolling along. It wasn't always like this. God actually came in by himself, by his word, and, and, and created everything. Now, isn't that what we see around the, our world today? On our island, right? When you're driving down and you you look across and you, you, you see the ocean, you see the fields, you see the mountains, you know. Driving up, you see Haleakala, yeah. Um, it, you see God's creation. And whenever you're doing that and you notice that, you know what, take time to say, God, thank you. Thank you for creating this. John uh, Gill, uh, um, old pure Baptist guy, said um, from a long time ago, he said, every work of God serves to display his glory and set off the greatness of his majesty. And so here's Peter said, look, we can't disregard this, that God created everything around us, the heavens, the earth. He created powerfully the, all the beauty in his, by his majesty, just, just showing that we have a creator. God, you could say, Changed the world and where we live. And he made the world, right? And where we live. You know, um, one, uh, I was reading one of the monumental things in our century, this century here, was when uh, Steve Jobs came out in 2007 and presented the iPhone. I mean, think about that. I mean, now today, how many of us carry our phones? This is my brain now. If I, I forget this, I'm like lost, right? especially as I get older. I can't remember anything. It's all in here, my schedule, everything. But under, we know how this has changed the world, right? Well, before the iPhone, God created everything. He created the world and where we can live in and have an iPhone. So God created it all. And think about this too, that in creating everything, He created us. He breathed into us life. You know why? So we would, we, we would have the capacity to be able to choose God. We would have a moral capacity. That we would have a, 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 a spiritual capability to know God. God made the expanse, the air, made dry land so we could walk on it and live. He created us as beings so we could know God and have a relationship with Him. That we can be saved when he sent his son to us to die for our sins. That's God. He intervened in that sense that he, he made us so it would allow us to know God and be close to God. So God 
did a huge thing here in creation. And that's what Peter is really putting out. Hey, you know one of the three standout events in history? The formation of creation. You can't disregard that. God has done that. Well, let's go to number two. The number two is the flood in Noah's time. The flood in Noah's time. And here back in 2 Peter verse 6, I mean, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, it says, And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Now, Peter gives a second proof. Peter now uh, gives this to counter scoffers, saying, God's never been involved. God's never done anything. Things are just, they've just been going on and on. Peter's like, no, no, there was a flood. From where God had made the water, out of the waters, that same waters brought this flood of judgment. And this is what he's talking about. Sadly, in this perfect environment that God made and people live, people still turned away from God and turned to evil. Genesis 6, 5, right? The Lord said that, uh, says that he saw the wickedness of man was great and they were continually having evil intention in their heart. So God intervened. intervened. How? With judgment, with the water, the flood. God could not let that continue. So with the same means as water that was created, wa- uh, cre- uh, God created everything. Wa- water, that same water brought the flood and many perished in the judgment. Uh, notice too, take note that in verse 7, but by the same word it says, so God spoke this again. We know, right, the story of the flood. God, he, how God saved Noah, uh, uh, his family, right? The animals and the ark. The ark was made and everything. I was thinking, you know, for our, our, our little cakey, we talk about Noah's ark and put little cute caricatures of the ark and the animals and, and the rainbow. And, you know, it's a, a great decoration for the baby's bedroom. But in reality, it was judgment, <laughs> Don't have nightmares, guys. No, but, right? but in reality, that's what Peter is saying. It was judgment that God brought upon the world because of their wickedness. God did interrupt. God did intervene. He did not allow evil and wickedness to go on, and he brought that flood. And that's what Peter is saying. By the same means the world was created, he took those same means, and he brought the flood. I think that's interesting. If you could turn over to um, Genesis again, but go to chapter 7. Go to chapter 7 now. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. This one verse kind of helps us to understand what we're looking at in 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. Oh, 7-11. They got good musubi there. Anyway... Um, Got to stop there always. <laughs> Seventy. Anyway, all right. Distracted, right? Yeah. Uh, what? What's that movie? Uh, <laughs> up with the dog. Squirrel. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Musubi. <laughs> no. Uh, so Genesis chapter seven, verse eleven. It, it says, "In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day." All the fountains of the great, notice, deep, verse 4. And the windows of heaven were open. 
Now, we know the flood like rose above any highest mountains that we know. We know that it, it was a worldwide flood. But where did all that water come from? I mean, to rain that much? What we read here wasn't just from above, but it was from below, from the deep. All these pools, underground water, all that was there came up and bubbled up. But not only that, uh, the windows of heaven were open. And it's really just a phrase saying, oh, it just dumped. Now, remember how there was this, this water above and water below and the dry land appeared? So there's this water above. God separated that. So what is that? Well, it's believed at this time before the flood that there's this whole canopy of water covering the earth. It, it, it was, who knows, God suspended it somehow, but all this water was above the earth. Uh, it, I believe it shielded yeah, uh, the, the living beings down there of the ultraviolet rays and the sun and everything. Because no wonder, if you read Genesis chapter 5, the average person lived to like 900 years. It was after the flood that the, how long they lived went down. So it, what happened was this canopy of water that was making like this lush greenhouse kind of effect. And we read in other scriptures that the springs would be watering the earth. Um, and we know the flood was the first time it rained. Well, God released that canopy of water and all that water came down and water from underneath. And that is what brought the flood. And so Peter's referring to all this. Peter's saying, do things just go on in this evolutionary uniformity? No. Peter's saying, no, not at all. God intervened in judgment with the flood. He's saying, this is what Scripture tells us. This is what happened. So Peter's saying the flood in Noah's time, you could go back to 2 Peter, the flood in Noah's time was another cataclysmic event by God's powerful Hand. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Look, number two, the second standout major event in world history was the flood. It's when the flood happened. The, the flood in Noah's time was another cataclysmic event by God's powerful hand. You know, it's interesting that archaeologists have found ancient cultures like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, even the Egyptians talk about this watery world originally. And a lot of, a lot of old cultures like that, they uh, also talk about a universal, worldwide, global flood. Interesting. I believe it happened. I believe it happened. We're reading it in the Bible. Um, there's evidence, right? There's a, a lot of creationists. And uh, if you ever want to read up on stuff, there's... Um, uh, Ken Ham, who runs the Answers in Genesis, uh, uh, their organization, they have a lot of uh, uh, information on this, and, and they can get real technical, but it's, but it's really good. I mean, there's evidence of, of how, like, fossils in the Grand Canyon, in the layers of sea creatures are, are all the way there, inland, you know, miles above sea level. There's, there's things like that. There's things like some of the the, the sandstone from the Grand Canyon are all the way up in Canada and northern U.S. Like, how to get there? there there's, there's a lot of evidence in, in that way. I know there's, you probably have seen the little 
PBS things or YouTube things about expeditions going to Mount Ararat, right? And trying to find the remains of, of the ark. And they see this wood structure and everything. And some, some say, well, there's the evidence. Some say, well, uh, since then, there's been a lot of volcano activity and it's been buried. It's actually underneath and nobody knows where it is. But either way, no, no matter what, what, what we may see out there, you know what? I believe what the Bible says is true and I believe it's, it's true. And we got to know that this did happen and God did intervene. But you know, Satan is out there too with his strategy, right? To rid the flood. Oh, Jesus isn't coming back. Oh, there wasn't a flood, right? Because if there wasn't a flood, then there's no thought of God's judgment. Why it happened. And so, of course, Satan wants us to think, no, everything's just going to keep rolling like it's always been rolling in that way. But we know God does intervene with judgment. And he gave us a promise, didn't he? That he would not bring judgment by water again. What's that? The rainbow. That was his promise. And there Satan is there again trying to turn that to something else, right? Use it for the symbol of uh, LGBTQ on and on. The alphabet goes. But we know it's real. We know it's true. God will again intervene. And that's the next part we're going to look at. So put in our minds that, no, God has been involved. You know what? He could have left everything form, formless and void. Yeah? Uh, uh, nothing. But no, He created everything so He could create us. And generations later, we could be living here on earth today and, and have this opportunity, ability to know God through Christ. What are we doing with that? Yeah. What are we doing with that opportunity? What are we doing with that? We know that judgment fell upon this world in the flood because of, of sin, of human beings rejecting God. They're evil continually in their heart. How about us? Do we allow that evil to continually be in our heart? You know, I, I feel like in the day that we live in today, God is, you know what, purifying us. I believe He's been speaking to all of you. He's been speaking to me. He's been speaking to me about getting serious about Him because the time is coming. He's been speaking to me about, hey, let's get real here. Let's get into reality that things aren't just going to keep going on and on. That there's a future coming, that Christ is coming soon, that the rapture could happen, you know, at, at any moment. And that should purify how we live, what's in our mind, what's in our heart. I believe God has been speaking to the church in, in that way. And let me say one more thing. We know God has intervened. We know God is involved. I mean, I, I would say... I mean, he, as he's refuting the scoffers here, I would put another major event that affected everybody's lives or can affect everyone's lives. And you know what that is? Jesus Christ. Isn't that a standout event? That God would send his son to die for us, for our sins. He could have let us go and just uh, die in our sins, go to hell. He could have done that. But because he loves us, he sent his son to atone for our sins when he died on the cross. 
Think about that. Think about what God did to intervene, to be involved in your life in that way. I don't know about you guys, but that, would, that just makes me want to love Him more, to live for Him more, to, to embrace Him more. God, you would do that for me? While I was yet a sinner, you died for me? Oh, Jesus, that, that's too much. I'm so unworthy. Why would you do that? That's great love to me. So God is involved, and God is wanting to be involved in your life too. Well, three standout events in history. Peter says, number one, the formation of creation. Number two, the flood in Noah's time. And lastly, number three, the fire at the end of the world. And this is verse seven we're going to see here. The fire at the end of the world. Now notice that the formation of creation, the flood in Noah's time was in the past. It's in the past. But what he covers here is the future now. Is the future. So look at verse 7. But by the same word, again, God speaking, powerfully speaking, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for what? Fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So this time, when God's judgment comes, it's not going to be by water, because he promised it's not going to ever happen by water now. But this time, it's going to be by fire. The judgment will be, will be coming by fire. The heavens and earth, it will be destroyed. Why? Why is that? Well, we get a clue here at the end of verse 7. It will be the destruction, the day of judgment, and destruction of the ungodly. Why? The same reason back in the flood because the world rejected God, uh, uh, gave themselves to sin and turned to evil and wickedness. I mean, don't we see that going on today in the world? Don't we see our society changing? Don't we see biblical principles being pushed away? And what's embraced? The evil, right? The, the, The bad, right? Good is called bad and bad is called good. Now everything's flipped around. This world is going so far away from God. God is not going to allow that to go on and on and on and on. We're going to see later in our study here in this chapter that He is patient. He is waiting. But what is it? His grace. Because He does not want anyone to perish. Right? Verse 9. Not wishing that any should perish. And we'll get to that next time. But God will bring the fire of judgment. Understand, that's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, you know, there's going to be another standout event, and that's the fire at the end of the world. Notice here in verse 7. It says that the heaven and earth that now exists are stored up for fire. In other words, the world is reserved for that judgment of God, the fire that is going to come. So to counter these scoffers here, he, Peter's here saying, look, there's going to be this cataclysmic fire of God that's going to hit the earth, that's going to change everything, that's going to end this world. That's what he's saying. Things aren't going to just keep going on, you guys. And you know when that is? It's what these scoffers are scoffing at. Where's Jesus? Where's his coming? That's when. It's going to happen. Isaiah 66, 15 and 16 says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his 
rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword will all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Or how about in Matthew 3.12, But his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Or Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1, the second part of verse 7 and 8, uh, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. God is going to come in judgment. Jesus will return in judgment. We know at the end of the tribulation, the seven tribulation years, and I'll talk about that more next week, but Jesus will come to set his rule and reign on the earth. That's the millennium. But when he comes, he will destroy all those against him. That's what's going to happen. So with this third proof, Peter shows things will not just go on, but will be this. The fire at the end of the world will be a major cataclysmic event of God's judgment. That's what he's saying. That is what Peter is putting forth here. Scoffers, you don't understand what's going on. This is going to happen. When it comes, it's going to be fire. It's going to be judgment. You should be listening to this. What is that fire? Um, we're going to talk a lot more next time when we talk about the day of the Lord. But for now, I thought I'd just throw this out. Uh, we, we do know, right? We, we, we understand the core of this earth is very hot, right? I mean, I don't understand. I always thought, how can that be? Like, the middle of this earth is super hot, you know, and then lava comes out and volcanic activity and all this stuff. And, you know, there's only like a 10-mile crust around the earth, and, and God is like keeping it all together. They say that the core, the earth's core is, is the temperature is about 10,000 degrees. I mean, I keep thinking, how does it stay hot, you know, kind of thing. But scientists say, oh, this friction of the rotation of the earth. I, I don't understand it all. We know the highest melting point of any metal known, is, uh, 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 which is tungsten, it melts at 6,500 degrees. But the core down there is even way hotter. It'll melt anything. It'll, it'll just burn it, melt it, anything that we know. I mean, what's lava, right? Molten rock, I think that's around that too for, I forget now, 4,000, 5,000, whatever degrees, right? And we, and we know lava, you know, we, we understand that. Well, what, what is, what is, how is God going to burn all this? Well, again, I'm going to talk about some things next week, but you know what I was thinking? As we think about Christ coming in judgment, as we think about God taking the church home, right, before the tribulation years, the, the seven years of tribulation. When we studied Revelation, we went through all of that. And during those seven years, the tribulation years, remember we studied in the book of Revelation, the vials, the trumpets, all, all that was poured out on, on the earth. A lot of it was this, this calamity, right? Nature and, and cataclysmic things going on. And then I, I thought about this. In Revelation, during the tribulation, right, we see a lot of volcanic activity. So from below come all this fire and heat. 
And then we also studied and saw from above, there was meteors, right? And, and their stars were falling, meteors were coming in. And so I can imagine these fireballs coming from above. So I kind of related to what he just talked about. Water from below with the flood, water from above. And I was thinking, wow, what I understand in Revelation, that there's going to be a lot of fire going on. And that is the judgment of God by fire falling upon this world or coming up from this world. Again, we'll, we'll talk a lot more ideas on that when we talk about the day of the Lord. But this is what's stored up, you guys. We may not fully understand how the people in the world before the flood, they didn't know. Noah was preaching righteousness, Hebrews tells us, right? Noah was warning the world that this flood was going to come. Flood? What's a flood? Rain? It's never rain. Yeah, you're crazy, Noah. Today, we can talk about these things, but would people believe? Same thing. But God is telling us, Peter is saying that, no, in the future, stored up, the world's future is this fire. Things will not remain the same. This is what we're headed toward. You know, with that, it makes us think, are we prepared? Are we prepared for this? Are we prepared spiritually? Things are going to happen. It's interesting, yeah, um, after the fires in Lahaina, I read a headline that said, Pray for Maui, apocalyptic fires. So if you think about when these huge events happened, and it was huge for us on Maui, right? The, uh, the writers, the reporters start using these words, apocalyptic. And we always tie that to the tribulation, the end times. Uh, recently, I don't know if you saw in the news, a bus crashed, crashed in Venice, Italy, killed 21 people, and the head, headline was apocalyptic bus crash. Or how about, uh, I think a few years ago in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, residents were stranded in their homes and cars as more than two feet of rain fell. Two feet. And, and it brought the city airport to a standstill. And the headline was, Rain of Biblical Proportions. I, I think that's interesting to me because when it's huge, when it's major, oh, they bring in the Bible stuff. Yeah. Right? 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 Well, when we talk about the end times and what's going to happen, it's going to be biblical <laughs> proportions. It's going to be apocalyptic. This is like little stuff. This is like baby stuff here, right? When it comes, it's going to be way worse than the things we're facing today. It really will be biblical proportions. So let it remind us the future of this world. There's, there's a time clock on this. I was thinking about this um, yesterday when I was reading the news and you know, here's you know, Hamas attacking Israel. Unprecedented from so many different ways. This morning I was reading Hezbollah. Hezbollah so Gaza Strip, you know, is, is southwest. And so they're attacking Israel. Hezbollah are the, the bad guys in Lebanon the, on the northern border of Israel. 
they're shooting rockets. I was reading this morning. So from the south and the north, right? And I was thinking, oh, is this going to spark some Ezekiel 38, 39 prophecy with, you know, Russia leading Arab states to attack Israel? I was thinking, I wonder. Because I believe the rapture is going to happen before that. If anything, during that sometime. But I think before that. Because right after that ushers in the seven years of tribulation. But I was also thinking when Jesus said in Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But don't be troubled. The end is not yet. The end is going to be when he returns. That's what he's saying. The rapture is going to happen before that. But it tells me today that I got time. The end is not yet. But you and I, we have time to get our life right with, with Jesus, with God. The Lord is involved. The Lord is intervening, and He will intervene into this wicked world and bring His judgment like never before, with fire. And so, let's keep eternity in our eyes. The life we live here is not everything, you guys. It's temporary. Perhaps you've been distracted. Perhaps that's what it's been. It's been like, you're into this or you're into that. Not even thinking about what's stored up for the world. Maybe you're caught up in your own selfish pursuits. Maybe you're you're caught up in in these problems that, that, that are overwhelming you that you need to give to Jesus and you haven't. Maybe you're forgetting forgetting that. Our life here is not all that there will be. We have eternity to live in as believers. Those in Christ, we're going to have a new glorified body. Yay! No more sickness. No more getting old. Yeah? No more starting to forget things like me. Yeah? It's not going to just keep going. It's not going to stay the same. No, we have a hope in the future, certainly. And you know, best of all, is we get to be with Jesus Christ soon. Best of all. I like something Billy Graham said. Many times when I go to bed at night, I think to myself that before I awaken, Christ may come. So we understand God is involved in world history. God is involved here. I think the real question is, will you let Jesus be involved in your life? Maybe you're here today and, and you've kept Jesus away. Maybe you wandered away from him. But God wants to be there for you. God wants to help you. God wants to do amazing things in your life. And just as he does standout events in this world, he wants to do standout events in your life. And he wants to personally help you and be there for you. This is our God. This is Jesus. Today's the day, you guys. If you're not right with God, get right with God. Go to the cross. If you need to return to Christ, return to Christ. You need to recommit your life. You need to stop backsliding. Stop being lukewarm about your life with God, your relationship with Him. This is the day. This is the time to go and be with Him. If anything That is our preparation for what's going on, right? What are you doing to prepare for the end? 
I'll close with this. I was just thinking about this. I read about a Salt Lake City man who stockpiled guns, grenades, and food that he scattered in four bunkers and cabins, bunkers underneath, that he illegally built in southern Utah wilderness. He was caught, he was charged with felony for recklessness and possession of incendiary device. He was a doomsdayer, you can say. He believed, and he told authorities that he feared, you know what, the end times. Funny, he believed enough of that, the apocalyptic stuff. But how about Jesus? Is that how we prepare for the end? No, it's giving our life to Jesus. How do we prepare for the end of the world? Build a bunker? No. We should be storing our treasures up in heaven, not on the earth. We should be, be living for God. We should surrender our life to Jesus. For at any time he could come, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Are you ready? Will you be ready for this major event, the standout event, it's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. And so, this is all part of what Peter gives us in the three standout events in history. Let's pray. God, as we close up here, we thank you for uh, your word and how your spirit speaks to us, Lord. But the real issue is what do we do with what you've spoken to us? We, we sense you, God. What is in your word has touched a chord in our heart. And we know, we know it's you. Without a doubt. But should we be like these scoffers and just shut our eyes to it? Or should we respond to your loving call? Lord, you convict our hearts so that we can turn to you and be made right. God, may we respond. May we respond in a genuine, sincere way, God. Because eternity is at stake. And we know it's around the corner. So, Lord, we come before you and bow down. We remember the cross and we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. God, help us today. Lord, may we accept you into our hearts and may we give you our life. May what I just said now be in the hearts of those who are here today that want to get right with you, that want to prepare for the end. But more than that, God, we want to know you and be close to you. Thank you, God, for what we saw today, what we learned today, what we hear today is your love reaching out to us, calling out to us to turn, to repent. And with that, we respond, God. I pray that this prayer and what I prayed is in the heart of everyone here. And I pray, God, that you would Stir our hearts up, Lord. God, that you would set us on fire for you, that no more, no more of, of this lazy, spiritual laziness, no more of, 
of toying with the world. No more compromise. No more giving in to this, the wiles of the devil. But today, as we say in God, we stand for you, Lord. And we will choose you, Jesus. We choose you, God. Thank you for your love, Lord. And thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.